When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Thursday, January 21st, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 392 featuring Yahoo Sports' Keith Smith is powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Another nice new edition of Celtics Beat. I'm Adam Kaufman. You know Evan Valenti, our producer, occasional host, and uh, also, of course, kind enough to join us today and a good friend of the program, Keith Smith. You know him from Yahoo Sports, Celtics blog. He's all over the place. He hosts radio shows. We like the man's insights, and we have a lot to cover with him as it pertains to the Celtics. How are you, fellas? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back. I think, hang on, I think we got to attribute Keith, like you have all the, the obvious, you know, uh, affiliates you work for, but I think at the, at the very heart of it, he's the godfather of the bubble. Like, <laughs> that's true. Right. Yeah, like, don't that's to point. That. like he's the godfather of the bubble. So, you know, as uh, he, has, he has the laundry list of things that he's done, trust me, but I think <laughs> at the very top of that, or maybe it's the last thing you mentioned, like in boxing, you know, yeah. where, like, you, you know, you give them all the nicknames. You say the best nickname for last. Just that's the, that's the, the key nickname there that we got to nail Adam. Here you go. We'll, we'll just do it again. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 392, featuring Disney whisperer Keith Smith, is powered by Bet On. Yeah, it's no, it's very true. Yeah, anything else you plan to speak into existence in the near future? No, I that, that was a once in a lifetime thing. I, I don't think I got another one like that in me. Look, that Keith, I need your good. energy, man. We need Deshaun Watson to the Patriots. We need <laughs> oh man, I, if, if I could make that one happen, I'm a hundred percent in on that. That's I gone. can't go through another year like last year. <laughs> I'm spoiled <laughs> no, now. We, we'll save the football talk for a little later when we really give Bol its due. But uh, I want obviously there's much to talk about relating to this team having the few postponements Kemba Walker's return since it's been back Jason Tatum expected back soon maybe as soon as tomorrow on the minutes restriction that very winnable game wound up being a loss in Philadelphia in the first of two to the Sixers last night we can go down these paths and we will but where I want to start and I'm sure it's gotten plenty of traction online I wasn't even aware of it until Evan texted me and he was like there's this article Keith Smith you need to read it if you haven't yet and I think I saw it pop up at some point uh, you know on Twitter but I hadn't clicked on it yet and then Evan was like dude read this article right now for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about and I hope you have read it Keith put uh, I imagine it took a very long time to put together this great article where he talked to many many executives across the NBA GMs assistant GMs high front office executives both conferences east and west about just the experience of dealing with Boston in trade talks whether or not teams have actually made trades with Danny Ainge whether they've worked to make trades with Danny Ainge and you know whether Danny Ainge is in fact greedy and and asks for too much some of these questions that we in the media have been asking for a while or just assuming based on things that we've read in the past Keith got to the crux of it and uh, you know agreeing on the basis of anonymity got a whole lot of honesty from people which was a really really fun read I encourage people go and check out I will tell you and Keith I want you to tell people all about the article, but I will just tell you my initial impressions of it were one, it was fascinating. Two, it was funny. Three, even as someone who I think has an understanding, a grasp to some level of the inner workings of the Celtics, you know, hierarchy and process when it comes to things like this, it was a great reminder of just how incredibly valuable Mike Zarin is. 
Yeah, that that was one of the big takeaways. And I again, I think I I had a pretty good handle on that. Um and his impression around the league, whether it be from teams or even the league office itself, he he's been the one who's kind of pitched that wheel idea for the draft mm. where you know rotates every uh you know through a 30-year cycle, I think it is, or yeah. something like that and people either seem to love it or absolutely hate it. Mm. Um you know, which I, I think when you fall at either end of the spectrum, that's pretty good, right? So I uh yeah, I think um that was a major takeaway was how you know, well-respected he is. The other pieces, and I, it didn't fit in the, the theme of it, but just how much people actually like him as a guy. Um, just, you know, in over and over and over again, I heard people say, you know, what a great guy he is. He's just, you know, he's a good guy to talk ideas with and different things. Um, and that, that sort of stuff. Um, and then the other part was, which I I may do a follow-up later, but how incredibly devoted he is to the Celtics. Um, that if, you know, Celtics fans, you know, may know, maybe they don't, but he was a season ticket holder. He's a lifelong fan of the team. He has had opportunities. Starter jacket. Yeah, exactly. The old school one. Yep. He's had opportunities to go potentially and either be a high ranking member or even run a team in the past. And he's always kind of, you know, stayed loyal to Boston. There, there's somewhat of an assumption around the league that he's probably Ainge's predecessor uh, in waiting, you know, as to whenever Ainge decides, oh, I'm done doing this. It's, I've been doing this basketball thing for a long time. I'm going to hang it up that, you know, uh, Mike Zarin is probably the next guy in, but, but we'll see you know, how that ultimately goes. But yeah, it was really cool to hear how many people, People spoke so highly of him. Yeah, Ab and I have a wager. At least we talked about having a wager on whether Mike Zarin will eventually get another job somewhere else. And like you said right there, Keith, there's not – I mean, it would shock me. I'm not going to say it would – you know, anything is possible in, in, in sports, obviously. But it would shock me if Zarin moved on somewhere else. As you said, he's had opportunities to do so and hasn't done that. Again, when you're a fan, like I, I get the attraction of running your own team. Like, don't get me wrong. But I'm first off, I'm sure Mike has paid very handsomely for his job. Um, I don't think money is really a huge issue, although, I mean, there is a bump up in pay when you get to that, you know, GM status, no question. But if you have the ability to have a huge say, and it, obviously Mike has a big say in how this team is run, right? Mm-hmm. And the moves they make, the draft picks they make, he has a huge say in all of this stuff. You know, it, it, I'm not sure if there's enough money out there to, or if he's the type of guy that's like, yeah, I want to, run my own team to show everybody I can do that. No, it seems like Mike's like pretty content, you know, being the assistant GM to his favorite franchise growing up. Like that just seems like a pretty slam dunk deal to me. I, again, I don't think he's going anywhere, Keith, and it seems like you feel the same way. Yeah, I do. And and I think there is something to that is, you know, once you're in a place where you want to be, as long as they're taking good care of you, well, why would you leave? You know, and I think he's making more than enough money to to live a you know the life he wants to live. And, and you know, it, it can be hard. You have, we've heard these guys, whether it be a coach or uh, sometimes it's even a player, how hard it is to go play somewhere else. I remember Paul Pierce always talking about how he hated the Celtics, you know, and that and eventually he, you know, grew and became one of the all-time best Celtics. But, but yeah, I, well, I have to wonder if, you know, Mike Zarin, we know he was in the running for the Philadelphia job at least once, if not twice, mm-hmm. if he looks at that and says, man, I, all I've wanted to ever do is beat these guys. You know, how, how do I go, you know, work for them? I don't know. I've never asked him that uh, personally, but I assume that's got to be at least part of the thinking. There's probably a, a job security component to it too, right? Not in this sense, like Mike Zarin, I'm guessing based on his reputation, his work ethic, you know, the, the way he's viewed around the NBA, he's like, he's never going to be hard up to find a job, obviously. But if you make that leap, you know, if you leave the Celtics to go be the GM of another team, you know, you, if things don't go well, you're going to lose your job. That's, you know, the, the guys get fired far more often than they leave on their own or retire in that line of work. That's just the way it goes. Now, obviously he could find another job immediately after losing that one, even if it's as an assistant GM, but does he want to move his family around the country repeatedly potentially, or does he want to stay with a place that like, you know, we've all noted like this, this was the boyhood team. This was the dream. I assume to work for the Celtics, maybe it was to play for the Celtics, but now to work for the Celtics. And uh, you know, he's especially being number two to Ainge. Maybe it's another story. If Ainge does walk away at some point, Mike Zarin is the successor, but right now, being number two to Ainge, like he has, I mean, there are, there, it can't ever be a care in, in his world of I'm going to lose my job tomorrow. Like he has the ultimate job security. He is not going 
anywhere by uh, by I don't even know what would have to happen for Mike Zarin to lose his job with the Celtics. And I think that, you know, Wick Grosbeck and company ownership there, there's such an extreme sense of loyalty within the organization, too, that like, that's why I don't even think like people harp on the fact that, well, Danny Ainge has been around for almost 20 years. He's won one championship. And yes, he's rebuilt the team multiple times as well, but he's won one championship and it's Boston and our expectation is more. And we have to have higher than that. One title's not enough in two decades. Danny is not going anywhere on Wick's, you know, command. Danny will leave when Danny wants to leave. Danny has a job for life, so to speak, you know, and I, I think the same is true of, of Mike Zarin. I, I think to some degree, I mean, unless things went horribly south the same is true of brad stevens yeah i think you know we'll, we'll see with stevens you know we don't know how long this you know recent extension is for we got told right before things get started in the bubble that they signed an extension uh to, to my knowledge and you guys know i'm pretty all over everything um we haven't even seen a leak of, of how long the, this extension is for yeah and the team's certainly not going to talk about it they, they don't talk about that it's a you know i can do a pretty good job of getting any salary number for a player but on a coach that, that's a hard number to to track down a salary and a length and all that stuff so yeah i think the celtics are in a spot where they feel good they feel comfortable with what they have uh, they, running the franchise and that's gonna, why they're going in that direction I, thought they were gonna be- I i really enjoyed and i'm i'm not sure if you found this as shocking as i did it may, and maybe it's just because I, i'm on the internet too much and i'm definitely on the internet too much but may, maybe <laughs> who isn't uh, i'm right it's it's just one of those things where like you know, it's it's been overdone, and, and, and it's it's like the joke is stale. But like Danny Angel was coming up short on deals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The one thing I was surprised about in your in your piece was the amount of people that like enjoyed working with the Celtics on trade deals. I always thought like, oh man, Danny must be a pain in the ass to deal with because he's always holding out. He's always they're always getting close, but never getting over the goal line. Like, I, I just. It always felt like to me, like if you're the team in the line, it must be so frustrating. But one thing to me that I found interesting, Keith, and I, I was going to ask you the same question, was interesting to you to find out that so many people that you interviewed throughout this entire process had, you know, very positive things to say in terms of dealing with Danny and with Mike and the rest of the brain trust inside the Celtics organization. Yeah, the the number one thing was that they're, they, that came away from me is they're just – there's no bull crap when you're dealing with them. It is, you know, get in, get out there. There's the one quote in the article that I used about one time we called and they said, you better be talking about draft picks. We don't want any of your players, you know, and that, that's, um, you know, and, 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 and it's harsh, but it, but it's also, you know, re- refreshing to, to hear that. I, I heard, you know, the number of times people said, especially at the draft it on that last day or two before the trade deadline, when everything is so busy, they, they, there's just not time to, you know, bat around ideas. And I think people have, um, this uh you know misconstrued notion that when there's a trade it's like you know me and you making a trade in a fantasy league where i text you and say what do you think and you know six texts later we're plugging it into the site and off we go it's not usually like that these are things that are usually conversations over you know days and days and days and as much as we may all sit around and talk through you know trades and make things up this is what these guys do all day every day and it's sometimes as simple as you know what do you think about player x you know what where are you guys at on player y i notice he's not in your rotation i i notice you're not doing this with him you know well what's going on there um and those kind of things in that relationship piece which i think with age having 18 years in the league now he knows everybody um there's only three teams he's never made a deal with Chicago, Toronto, and San Antonio. San Antonio doesn't surprise me. They don't make any trades really ever, especially in season. Um, and then Chicago, they, they haven't made a lot of trades either. And then um, Toronto, division rivals, so that doesn't necessarily surprise me either. Um, so those are the only teams he's never made a deal with. Um, he's been part of big deals. He was part of the biggest trade in NBA history, five teams, 11 players, um, all, you know, draft picks and draft rights were thrown around. He's also been part of the, you know, small salary dumps, Jabari Bird, you know, sending him off with cash to the Hawks and those kind of things. So I think that is a sense of when you call the Celtics, you're, you're going to get, uh, how do I put this You're You're going to get something done or you're not going to get something done, but you're not going to spend forever trying to get there. And I think when Ainge says things like we got close or we tried really hard, there is truth in that. 
I think also, you know, some folks said, you know, from their perspective, there's probably a little bit of, well, you know, you got to say those things, you know, and you got to say that because, because you you imagine if he came out at a trade deadline and said, yeah, we didn't really try. We, you know, we, we didn't want to do anything. Yeah. He's going to get killed. You know, I mean, that's going to be, you know, the talking point until, you know, somebody else in in town does something dumb. So, you know, that's, I, I think, that's why we're at a point with with Danny where he says the things he says. And, you know, and, and, and one of the one of the quotes that I also got was, you know, yeah, you know, you can say these things of, you know, well, you know, we we offered a protected second round pick for, you know, this all NBA all star level guy. And, you know, and they said no. And yeah, then we can say, well, we tried to trade for him. And yeah. that's, you know, and the, I mean. Yeah, they're, they're, I don't think a lot of teams do that, but but I think it just I don't think the average person knows how much these teams talk trades and spend time on the phone and text and everything back and forth trying to get, you know, something done. It takes a long time for a lot of these deals to come together. Well, it's the whole like, yeah, we checked in on James Harden, but you can't yeah. have him. You can't have Brown. You can't have, you know, maybe exactly. you smart, you know, Kemba, we might not like, you know, at certain point in time, it's like, no, we will not give you James Harden for Shemi Ojale and Pitt. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not going to work. I'm sorry. The, mo- the money doesn't add up. Speaking of the money, by the way, uh, one of the things that I found really fascinating about your article, and I encourage people to read it if you haven't, was, and it goes back to Mike Zarin, is that this guy was basically, I, I don't know him on a personal level, I've met him, but described, you know, by executives that you spoke with, essentially as Rain Man. Like, the, you know, the guy's just sitting there and plugging away all the, <laughs> you know, all the cap figures and numbers and, and, you know, everything like that, like what normally needs to be drawn out by people at length on paper or on a computer in a spreadsheet, he's just doing it in his head, you know, to the, to the dollar real quick and outlining everything, telling you what your cap is going to look like three years from now. Um, what I wonder is, and I just don't know, I don't want to presume one way or the other. Maybe you have some insight into this. Cause this is one of the things that Evan and I were texting about when we were having our little Zarin debate about his future if in fact he is the guy after Danny Ainge, however many years from now that may be, how is he when it comes to evaluating talent? We know he's a cap wizard. We know he's very progressive. We know he's great with numbers. How is he when it comes to player development and that side of things that, as we know, Danny Ainge is very good at? Yeah, that part I don't have a real great answer to other than he is involved. That that, that was the, the extent I know. I don't know how much he spends time on the college players. Is he more involved on the um, pro side? Uh, we, we know Austin Ainge is, is heavily involved in the, yeah. um, in the scouting side of things. Uh, you know, and they, they, they do a lot um, over in Europe, which we've seen, you know, pay off time and time again, as they've added productive players to the roster from the European ranks. So, yeah, I'm not sure with, with Zarin. And it, it's not uncommon when you get to, you know, his point as the, the number two um, mm-hmm. in the front office for them to, for their focus to be on the NBA. Um, you know, a lot of teams they, they have their, whether it be general manager or their, their uh, president of basketball operations, what the titles are, you know, they're, they're getting to be crazy with levels yeah. and all this stuff, but you know, you've got your number one guy, which is clearly Danny Ainge. It's not uncommon for the number two guy to be focused also on the NBA. And then the guys after that are focused more on the, um, college ranks, the international ranks and the likes like that. But hey, my, my sense is Zarin has a you know really good good feel of guys who are in the league. Um and I'm sure he's involved. I, I just don't know the detail of how much on the uh college and international or really non NBA scouting side. Everybody has their expertise. Mike's just you know his mind is a computer and can yeah. and can always uh have the cap figure in mind or how many draft picks they can actually trade. Um and it's it's important to have a guy like that because you know trade season's coming up at some point Boston's gonna probably do something to bolster their chances to try win NBA title this year. And you know it was it was interesting the other day and I don't mean to kind of guide us in this direction, but it just kinda happened to go this way, where you know Brian Windhorst talked about the the lack of first round picks that are available in this year's trade season, because so many have futures traded all over the place. I mean, Brooklyn, obviously mortgaging their future. You'll get James Harden. There's a lot of picks there. There's a lot of picks going to Oklahoma city. And I don't even know where they're coming from. I just know the Thunder <laughs> have all of them. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's important Thunder to have a guy like what's up Thunder and the Pelicans. Right. Yeah. yeah they they have all the picks. For supremacy. Belichick would be uh, jealous of, of the <laughs> right now in the NBA. Um, but, like, you know, you look at, 
everybody's ability to trade picks. And this is again where Mike kind of comes into play and where his expertise comes into play because he's gonna be able to tell you exactly what they can offer right on the spot. Like, oh yeah, you know, this team can do only can do this, 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 and this. We can up that with this, 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 and this. And that's why Mike, you know, you, you, and everybody has their expertise. Like, you know, Austin Ainge has his own role in the front office. You know, J- Danny has kind of his hands in everything. But, like, Mike's the kind of guy where you're trying to make significant improvements to your team midseason. He's the guy you need. And as you look at the NBA landscape right now, his role is going to be really crucial come March, Keith. Yeah, and I, and I think what's important there, too, is it allows if you're an opposing team, and this was kind of a takeaway as well, I think, with Boston. Boston has one of the smaller front offices in the NBA. It's not small by any means, but they they don't have a million people that work in their front office like some of these other teams do. Um, and part of that is because you have guys like Mike Zarin, you have Austin Ainge, they wear multiple hats for the team. They're able to do multiple different things. And in Zarin's case, you know, not only is he the assistant general manager, but he's also the general team counsel and essentially he's their salary cap guru. Um, So what happens is a lot of these trades start at the assistant level, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, the two assistants are batting around ideas and going back and forth because, you know, Danny might be not right now in this uh, environment we're in, but in a normal uh, world might be out on a college scouting trip or he might be overseas. And it's, you know, so it's Zarin and an assistant are batting it back and forth. And as it gets closer, you know, then that's when the, the, the head honchos get involved. And then eventually everything is taken to the owner and run by the owner. But I think what, what, it does with Zarin is you're not, if you're batting ideas back and forth, he's not having to say, well, let me get with our cap guys to see what that does for us. He knows, he knows exactly where they're going to be. And he also, you know, I'm fairly certain after talking to a lot of people, uh, most guys said within a few bucks, he can tell you, you know, what a guy's salary is, which is, you know, insane. Um, But also he can tell you, you know, all right, well, that guy's a free agent in two years. And, you know, he's, you got early bird rights on him and all those kind of things that are, you know, even for somebody like me, who that's what I love most. Most, I have to look that stuff up, you know, every time uh, to understand. I can you know, tell you James Harden makes 41 million, but I, I can't tell you the exact you know, numbers behind that. Um, and, and he can. And what, one of the quotes I got was somebody said uh, to me, I don't know if I put it in the article or not. I don't think I did. Was we're, we're in a position where it is um, where we're going to make uh, this trade and it ends up coming down to, you know, Zarin telling us, oh, you know, we're 200,000 short on that. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you're jealous there, Keith. That's all I'm saying. It sounds like there might be a little, <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. On an ownership level, we know that obviously Wick Grosbeck and, and Steve Pelyuk and all these guys, they are involved and, and care, you know, about the, the success of the franchise more than anything else. Like they are about winning. They're not about just making money. It's, you know, they are, they are fans. They are invested. When you talk about uh, trades, like, you know, some owners – metal like these are not those guys but some owners obviously in some franchises metal and want to be involved in every decision now wick has been uh almost over the top about his uh faith and belief in danny Ainge to the point where like you know he's he is not he has said like i'm not going to go against danny you know when when it comes to you know i i trust him is is the general message i'm i'm not saying it probably in his complimentary terms but he trusts him that is that is the important thing to take away. And so if Danny's making deals, like obviously like, you know, the deal with the nets back in 13, like that's a big trade and there have been other big trades, but when it's smaller stuff, stuff that doesn't necessarily move the the extreme, does Danny have to take everything to wick just for, you know, like a cursory approval or, you know, is, is there a certain line for that where Danny can, you know, kind of do whatever he wants, but then, you know, when it's like, all right, we're going to trade Pierce and KG. Yeah. I'm going to go talk to ownership about that. Yeah. Those are kind of dependent on team uh, for the most part. I think if it's something small, like, Hey, we want to, you know, sign Jeff Teague to a league minimum contract. I don't know that that's there, but then if it comes into, Hey, we're going to make this deal and it's going to put us in the luxury tax and cost you, you know, millions of dollars, then absolutely that is a question. Or if it's a, you know, a bigger thing, like, Hey, we're making this big trade. You always run it by the the number one overall pick in the draft. for Exactly. 
Yeah. And I guarantee that was just a conversation. And I'm sure um, from the way those guys have always described their relationship, Wick said, if that's what you think the right thing to do is you, you do it and then off we go and yep. never even, you know, questioned it. And I think that is the benefit there where, you know, I always look at the Dallas Mavericks in this some sense. Remember when Mark Cuban first bought that team, he was super involved and he was, you know, we're making trades and we're doing all this stuff and they were kind of always good, but never good enough. It was when he finally took a step back and said, you know, I'm going to really let my basketball people do this. That's when they finally got that title. And then they were in the mix for several years running. I think, I think the, um, you know, Danny LaRue, who I've worked with for years over at Real GM says ownership is the biggest competitive advantage in professional sports. And I think it's completely true. If you have an owner who is willing to spend money one, and then two is willing to let your people do what they do, you know, then, then you're, you're golden. It's when they get in there and they're either cheap or they're cheap and want to be heavily involved, or they they're willing to spend, but want to be heavily involved. That's when it gets really messy. And I think the Celtics are very fortunate that their ownership has said, we'll pay the tax for, for a contender. You know, we understand. I, I think there's probably limits there for Danny. And I think it's also for Danny to be honest with them to say, you know, we're not going all in right now because I don't know that we're quite there this year, those kind of things. And they're probably trust trusting him on that. Or if then I think on the flip side, when he comes and says, Hey, we got to go into the tax because we're close. We're one guy away. We can go get player X. He's going to put us over the top. I think then that's on ownership to say, I trust you. Let's move forward. I want to tell you guys real quick, uh, football on the way this weekend. Obviously, only three games remaining in the NFL season, which is kind of nuts. But there's one place that has you covered, one place we trust. That's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code CLNS50 for your 50% welcome bonus. Lines for this weekend's games, the Chiefs are minus three, favored by three to beat the Bills, Patrick Mahomes, Presumed to play in that one coming off the concussion protocol. So we'll see what happens, but he has been back at practice. The Packers are three point favorites at a frozen Lambeau, the frozen tundra of Lambeau field against the uh, Buccaneers, Tom Brady's bucks on Sunday, where it's expected to be snowy and about 20 or 25 degrees. So watch out. Maybe we get the chalk of chiefs Packers in the super bowl. And then we'll see where it goes from there. NBA title odds, the Lakers who look even better than they did in the bubble when they won a title plus two sixty. the Nets, People are really high on James Harden coming back to that team or coming to that team and Kyrie Irving coming back to the team plus 275. I'll remind you their first game together. They lost in double overtime, although all three of them were pretty good. Clippers plus 650, Bucks plus 750. The Celtics, who are one of the top teams in the East right now, plus 1,800 if you want to lay a little coin. And the Sixers, who are right there with them at plus 1,800 as well. Those two teams will do battle again coming up tomorrow night. There is one place that has you covered, one place we trust, as we told you, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account. That is betonline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 for your 50% welcome bonus. I think, Keith, Evan, it is uh, an appropriate time for us to uh, get off the article and the internal you know, brain trust of the Celtics and by all means, people, go read the article. Keith has tweeted it out. I have as well. Maybe Evan did. Oh, it's yeah. a great article. a lot of great insights that we haven't even discussed. But we should, in the interest of time, the time that we have left, talk a little bit about what's going on with this team. Now, there was the five-game winning streak. Come out of the, you know, well, the postponement. Four going into the postponement. You come out, you win a game, and then lose by 30 to the Knicks in a game that, to my estimation, one, they just gave up on the game plan in the second half and just started jacking up threes like you read about. But also tried a little too hard in Kemba's 20 minutes or so to get him involved. But as Brad Stevens has said multiple times for us to be our best, Kemba needs to be his best. And, you know, our priority is getting Kemba up to speed. And that has been apparent within the times that he has been on the floor dealing with these minutes restrictions that he's been so frustrated by, but, uh, you know, patiently adhering to, obviously the last game out against the Sixers, we talked about it. Very winnable game doesn't go their way. How have you, uh, I think most importantly, how have you thought Kemba's looked in his two games back where he has said he feels worlds better than he did in the bubble and everything feels better and nothing bothers him? Yeah, I think physically you can see that. I think especially that, uh, you know, early in that Knicks game, I wasn't trying to overreact too much because there was probably a lot of adrenaline flowing. He was probably super excited to be out there and clearly was, as he said. But I thought last night's game or Wednesday night's game against Philadelphia, I thought he looked a lot like 
the Kemba we saw last fall and and then in the early uh, part of the winter before he hurt the knee. And I thought you really saw him, you know, quick. His burst was there. Um, he mentioned after the game, which was something I picked up on, he was getting to his pull-up jumpers um, big, which is such a huge part of his game. He may be the best pull-up jump shooter in the game. Right now, he was certainly one of them last season. So I think, you know, him, you know, feeling good, that, that changes everything. And I think that really changes the ceiling for this team because that allows them to when Jason Tatum is back and that'll be, you know, sooner rather than later, um, that allows Stevens to leave at least one of Tatum, Brown and Walker on the court at all times. And that should hopefully avoid those scoring droughts we've seen at points this season. Um, my guess is it'll be Tatum or Walker out there by themselves. Jalen Brown just still doesn't seem overly comfortable being, you know, even as good as he has been demanding the ball and saying, I need it, you know, play through me. I've got this and that kind of stuff. So maybe that'll come eventually, but you know, we've seen Tatum with the reserves do quite well. So I think that's what you're going to see Brad Stevens go back to. Yeah. The, the speed thing is what the big thing for Kemba and, and the fact that he looks quick, you know, is and we always talked about the difference between him and Kyrie. There's many of them. Um, but one of my favorite ones is the, he, he, Kemba doesn't waste a lot of time dribbling the basketball. It's, it, he's, yeah. he's North South, very quick. And that is a huge part of his game, getting in the paint. And he was, you know, attacking Embiid inside, attacking Dwight Howard inside when he had matchups that way. Um, and, and that's the one thing I look for with Kemba, the speed, the quickness, because that's what makes him go. I mean, you looked at, you know, how many small point guards have come through the Celtics the past couple of years. I mean, Isaiah Thomas, he was so quick. That's how he got to, you know, got to his spots uh, with with ease and, and, and had open shots because he could get to his spots very quickly. Um, and that's what I love about Kemba. And, and, the one thing I'm looking for now is, you know, how how the pecking order, how does it work? How do these guys figure out? I mean, obviously they've played with each other before. This is not going to be something uncommon. They've played with each other on Team USA. That was a big part of bringing Kemba to Boston was his familiarity with those guys during that summer. He had a whole season with them. But now, you know, roles have changed, right? You know, you talk about Jalen Brown and, you know, I, the, the development of Jalen Brown to like a real creator as an offensive player is like totally – mind-blowing to me considering what we saw not too long ago with him and you know his blinders right he's now turned into like a full-fledged you know playmaker how does how does Kemba work with that how do they you know how do they enhance each other I mean Tatum now on the floor with Kemba uh you know those double teams are a little bit you know a little bit dicier if you're the opposing defense you know so you know how they work them you know work Kemba back to where he needs to be is is going to be interesting I love that they saved Kemba for non-Embiid minutes last night. That was very, that was a good strategic idea, although, you know, it ended up working out. Um, but this this is a team now that has a lot of offensive firepower uh, between three guys. So you lose Gordon Hayward, which was a, a huge loss, and he's flourishing in Charlotte. I'm happy for him. Don't get me wrong. But this is a team now that has, you know, still some pretty potent offensive players. And on top of that, you have Marcus Smart, who can contribute a little bit. You know, you saw a little bit from Daniel Tice last night. He had, what, like 17 at mm-hmm. one point last night. Um, their ceiling is much different. And as you look at it now, Keith, and you look at what Kemba is and what Jalen has become and what Tatum is, where is this team's biggest, uh, we'll say, uh, where are they lacking at this point? Is it wing depth? Is it, is it you know, a solid quality big? Because uh, you looked at MB last night. He had it real easy last night. So I'm not yeah. sure. Now you look at, you know, you try to look at it a bird's eye. He's flailing all over the place. <laughs> but he was. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, and Marcus Smart calling him out for it is one thing. You yeah. know, I love that Embiid was like, dude, pot kettle, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> what the but, hell? It is. So, I mean, it's, if Marcus, yeah. like, you just got to flail harder, Marcus. If Embiid's flailing, you got to outflail Embiid. It's just like him and Lowry. It's the same thing. But where where do you think they're weakest right now, as, you know, given the two-game, 20, 40-minute sample size we have at Kemba Walker? Yeah, my, my first thought is on the wing. I think they need another quality wing. Um, I, I know that their hope is that'll be Romeo Langford when he comes back, uh, which should be sometime in the, in the next, you know, let's call it month or so. Um, he's, he's been spotted doing some shooting and the like now. Um, mm-hmm. I know that there's a hope that, you know, maybe Aaron Neesmith eventually turns the corner, but I, I think, think that's all hope. I would love to see them get somebody who's definitely able to contribute and can come in and, and fill a role and give them quality minutes. I also don't want to see them be in a spot where they feel like they get a 
push Tatum and Brown too much. Uh, late, later in the season, this is already a tough condensed season. Um, they've got now, what do we get? Three uh, makeup games to, to go as well. So those got to be fit in somewhere. And there's probably going to be more postponements down the line, just the way the season's turning out. So yeah, that, that, that part I think is going to be really difficult to, you know, get, get through without some actual real quality depth. So I'd love to see them get that. Then the other thing I've been watching, especially over the last handful of games is they're starting to get beat up on the boards. And I think that's really tough. Um, you know, I think Tice for all the things he does, does well, he's never going to be a top tier rebounder. Thompson can rebound, but he hasn't done, done the other things. Robert Williams, he's still, you know, a work in progress. He can do a lot of different stuff, but then there's times when he looks lost. So I'm starting to wonder if they're going to really look at, all right, is it best to take, you know, we love Tyson Thompson and Williams, but take a couple of them, turn them into one guy and then really move, move in that direction to try and, you know, shore that up and bring in a quality big around the guys we already have, because I think that, that would, you know, be one of those things, or especially with somebody who, you know, just has to kind of focus on rebounding and playing some defense. I, I think, you know, that them will really go. I'm not, I'm, let's not go crazy and start, you know, Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert and all this, because that's not going to happen. Um, you know, but, but, you know, is there somebody else on the market that you could look into? I think the challenge with trades this year is you mentioned before, Evan, about the number of picks that are out there from what Brian Windhorst was talking about. That's, that's true. It's hard for teams to move picks. The other thing is because of the play-in tournament, you only got to get to 10 this year to be in the mix. So that means you only really got to be in the striking distance of 10 to convince yourself and your fan base, hey, we're right there, you know, for the play-in. So that means you might be 12 or 13 come the trade deadline and still only a couple games out of 10th, where in past years, those are the teams that are saying, it's time to time to move on, time to sell, time to get pieces going. And I think what you're really looking at with um with the Celtics in particular here is all right, well, we you know, what what are we gonna do? Are there gonna be enough sellers out there come the trade deadline where you can actually add a quality piece? That may not be of Boston's choosing. It may be too many teams are still in the race when it comes time to start making deals. It's funny you bring that up because I was talking to somebody yesterday and was asked, you know, as we always are, right? It's a, a weekly component to, to this show and any other Celtics related program. You talk about the TPE and, you know, what available options may exist for the Celtics, reasonable ones, not like, you know, you were saying that the guys we shouldn't be talking about, but reasonable ones that could come in. I was asked yesterday about, uh, you know, guy right by you, Nick Vucevic there in Orlando. And my first reaction was like, sure. I mean, makes sense. Like, why wouldn't you want a guy like that? Except, you know, Orlando would really have to fall out. You know, I'm not sure what the Celtics could tempt the magic with to bring him in to be able to sell to their fans. Like, yeah, I know we were kind of in the mix for a playoff spot or, you know, right there for the play in tournament, but yeah, it, it doesn't feel right. We're going to move the guy. You know, I don't know how you feel about him or other players that are maybe in similar spots, kind of, you know, lesser East or West teams that are flirting with playoff spots, but obviously aren't contenders, but it's going to be tough to pry those guys away without actually giving up rotational pieces off your roster as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now that's where it gets really hard is one is, all right, well, what are you sending back? Because you, you've got to get that figured out as it stands today, because the Celtics are hard capped, they can only use 19.6 million of the trade exception anyway, as it stands now. Now they could send some salary out. They send out $4 million. They can use 23.6 million of it and still stay under, under the hard cap. And then clearly they would send some, some salary out in trades. I just think it becomes to that point is I always encourage people yeah, I know you want these guys, whether it be Celtics fans or anybody else. You want that guy. You want that guy. Okay, why does the other side want what you're offering? You know, that's where it becomes the right. question. I live in Orlando, as you know, and for me, being around the Magic quite a bit, I can tell you, as silly as it may sound to to a Boston fan who is all about championships – making the playoffs has value for the magic. They, they were a bad team for a very long time after losing Dwight Howard. So for them just to be back in the playoff mix year in year out is big. So I think that's really important to know. Right. I think so too. And it's, it's going to be a, t- a dicey, a dicey trade season. Um, you know, and it's, you look at the teams that are really, really, really out of it. I mean, you look at a team like, you know, Houston or Detroit, you know, I don't know what Cleveland's expectations are. I'm, I'm in love with Larry Nance Jr. right now as a potential trade, you know, possibility for Boston just because he kind of fits. 
exactly what they need. But yeah, you, you look around the league and like the Knicks are probably, you know, there at some point, you know, could you pry away Julius Randle who's having a hell of a season right now? You know, it's just a matter of, and again, we're not going to have a clearer picture until the dust actually settles here. And the one thing with Boston is, and we could bring it back to the Celtics, you know, they haven't been really totally healthy yet. Right. When, yep. you know, the season starts, there's no Kemba Walker. There's, you know, there's no Romeo Langford, but there's really no Kemba Walker. That's a big issue, right? Well, now that Kemba's out, Kemba's back, Tatum's out. Well, that's great. And Rob's out, too. We still haven't seen Romeo yet. So the one thing that is interesting with Boston's roster is they're surveying the landscape, no question, as we get through the season. But they have to also do that internally and say, like, okay, you know, we – we need wing depth, but we haven't seen Romeo Langford yet. Maybe he can give us that is what we need. You know, we got killed in the boards last night because uh, Embiid, you know, is a monster. And Dwight Howard is, you know, for is everybody's, you know, nobody, loved, you know, he's a detraction <laughs> in certain ways and not in others. But, you know, he's he's got a lot of bulk down low, but you're missing Rob Williams as well. So it's like it's it's. You have a Celtics team that's not totally complete yet, and you have an NBA that's not totally has any idea where they all fall yet. So, you know, as we sit here and talk about exactly what Boston wants and needs, and everybody's like, "Oh yeah, go get PJ Tucker, go get uh, <laughs> go get Harrison Barnes, go get this guy, go get that guy." We don't even know what Boston thinks of their own roster yet. Like I think, yeah. and the one thing that I'll say is that front office, as we talked about at top of the show. You know, that's a front office that, you know, through their years together knows like, all right, we can't make any rat, you know, quick judgments on how this team is playing until we see everybody, you know, together for a long period of time. And my, my problem, Keith, is I don't know if we're ever going to see this team fully healthy, you know, uh, for a long enough stretch for the traded line to actually have a concrete opinion on what the hell this team actually needs. Yeah, and that's the problem is, you know, how, how long is too long? Mm-hmm. Uh, how long is too long waiting for, you know, these guys to get together? And that, that yeah, you make a great point there. That, that is that is where it gets tough. And, you know, do, do you keep banking on that? And then that day never comes. And then by then the trade deadline has passed and you can't improve the team and those kind of things. I think your other challenge is, as you look around the league, we're so conditioned to it's late January. We must be almost to the trade deadline. It's time to make trades. We are a month into this season, you know, and I had a team when I was kind of reaching out to them, just, you know, Hey, what are you hearing? What are you guys talking about? What's going on? Say, man, there's, there's nothing going on right now. A third of the league can't even be traded for another two weeks almost until February 6th. And then you are, you know, from there, you're still, you know, a month and a half out from, from the um, trade deadline. So that is, you know, something as we really, you know, look through this stuff, we've got to kind of keep that in mind is it's quite a ways away before we go, you know, NBA teams generally, two months into the season is when they feel good. It's usually right around the Christmas holiday when we're about two months in where, all right, we kind of know who we are. We, the guys we signed over the summer can be dealt where the, the early trade window, as they call it is open, you know, so that that's the, the thing I think people need to focus on right now is everybody only really cares about themselves. The Harden trade happened, but that was a completely different circumstance. That wasn't a normal kind of thing that, that yeah, went down he his way out. Exactly. He forced, you really forced his way out. And, and when, then when he called everybody out in the organization, more or less at the end, it was, this is done. You know, now, now he's going, Um, you know, and then they, they got the right teams there. So I think that the, that's the thing is, you know, I know it's tough after you're watching the team get beat up by Embiid. Everybody wants to go, go get somebody, but you know, I, I don't know that prime Hakeem Olajuwon was having a lot of success with Embiid last night. I mean, he was just, you know, he, he right now is maybe the best um, scoring big man in the game. You know, I, I don't know that it's close. I think Nikola Jokic is the best all around um, mm-hmm. offensive big, but I think Embiid's right there. And I think, you know, that's a sign respect of, you know, hey, right the there. And I think you also need to say in the end of, hey, we're, we were right there without Jason Tatum. You know, so, you know, this is not the end of the world as much as, you know, people want to go. But to Evan's point, you do hit a point where it's all right, how far are we willing to go with this group? And, you know, are we going to get to see them together for more than that, you know, eight to 10 game stretch where like, holy crap, this team can win a title with what they have. And then somebody else invariably goes down and the whole, you know, thing starts to fall apart a little bit. That that's the worry that I think kind of lingers in your mind. 
these teams are going to see each other a lot, obviously, this season. But, you know, with what you saw last night, you know, we don't know what to expect tomorrow. And obviously acknowledging, like has been brought up many times, that Jason Tatum wasn't there on the floor with those guys. And Kemba's just fresh off this injury as well, even though he said he's feeling great. Where does Boston stack up with Philadelphia, you know, near the top of the conference, obviously? Yeah, for me, I think they're right there. I think they're pretty even. They just get get to that end result very different ways. You know, Philadelphia is going to beat you up inside. They're going to play bully ball. Um, even though they're not, you know, it's not Embiid and Horford anymore. They're still bigger than just about everybody else that they're ever going to come up against. Tyrese Maxey's the only, uh, you know, normal sized guy for his position in that lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny Green, Tobias Harris, they've got good size for where they play. Simmons is clearly, you know, giant for his spot to come with good size off the bench. But I think the Celtics have advantages when they are fully healthy of when you look at that. All right. So they can get by by putting Simmons on Brown and Brown had a good game, but Simmons did okay at times. Um, You can put, you know, green on, on Tatum if you want, but then who covers Kemba, you know, on that side, they're going to involve and be, they're going to make him defend. I I think when we see them play uh, on Friday night, I think you'll see them attack and beat a little bit more, make him have to move his feet on defense. They didn't do a lot of that. Um, they did it a couple times early, but didn't go to as much as I thought they might. And every time they did, they got something good out of it. So I think you'll see that. I think also Brad Stevens, when he plays a team, he might see in the playoffs, he's not going to show you everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we we saw that last year. They they struggled with Philly in the regular season and then blew their doors off in the playoffs. I know they didn't have Ben Simmons, but the Celtics didn't have Gordon Hayward after the first game either. And they still just hammered him because they know how to attack that team and make them play. And Bede's a different guy, though, this year because he got himself into better shape. He's playing better, deeper in the games and those kind of things. I think Doc has done a good job of – all right, I can see he's only going three-point line to three-point line time to get him off for five minutes or so, and I think he's done a good job with that. But I think they're pretty equal, and I think I still have Milwaukee at the top of the conference, but I think right behind them, Brooklyn, Philly, Boston, uh, Miami, I'm still high on Indiana. I think those teams are all relatively equal, and a lot of it, like it does every year, is going to be matchups and health when we get to the playoffs. Yeah, when you look at the rest of the East, you you say Milwaukee's still the top of the conference. Is that the team? You know, I, I know everybody's like, well, you got to kind of play your team around beating the Lakers. Is you know, eventually you got to go to the finals. You're probably going to play the Lakers. You know, you got to see if your team is is you know, big enough, deep enough to beat that team. Is there a team in the East that you think out of all of them, the Brooklyn's, the the Boston's, the Phillies, the Milwaukee's, Miami's? You know, is there a team? It's like Boston at the end of the day has to look themselves in the face and like say, can we beat Team X? Because that's the team everybody's chasing. Is that is it Milwaukee for you? Is it is it Brooklyn for you? Is it Philly for you? Which one? Yeah, it's Milwaukee still. I think um, what the Bucks have done this year very differently than the years uh, prior, the last couple especially, they overwhelmed teams by being eleven or twelve guys deep. So when they played an average or a bad <laughs> team, their depth just crushed those teams, and that's why they beat teams you know by twenty points and out of historic scoring margin and all that. But then when you get to the playoffs, their main guys had only played twenty five to thirty minutes a night. So Mike Budenholzer said as they flamed out against Miami in the second round. I can't push these guys to 40 to 45 minutes a night. They're just not there. Now what he's doing in this regular season, because they only go about eight or nine deep, their main guys are playing 30, 35, occasionally 40 minutes. That's going to help them. I think less is more for that team. The more minutes Giannis is on on the floor, the better. He's learned how to play without committing, you know, dumb fouls. It used to be every game, two or three dumb fouls. Then, you know, the, the kind of 50-50 calls. Now he's, you know, on the bench and foul trouble, he's out of the game. So I think Milwaukee's still that team. I think they've still got the the they've still got the best player in the conference, although Kevin Durant's really pushing that pretty, mm-hmm. pretty hard. He's been pretty good. I'm not as worried about the Nets because Who's highly going to defend anybody? You know, yep. we, we were talking about the Colin Sexton show and, you know, how crazy he went, uh, you know, off the air. And, you know, so I just, I'm not overly worried about the Nets like some people are. Now, maybe they fix that. They've got a couple roster spots. They've got some tools to go get somebody, you know, but, you know, no one's coming in that's going to, you know, magically solve their defensive issues that they have. So, so we'll see. Miami, they're good, but Boston was right there with them. I know they lost that series, but they were right there in that series the whole way. And then, uh, you know, uh, 
Um, other teams, you know, Indiana is a good team. Philadelphia is a good team, but I think you're looking at it. And it's funny. Like you said, people always say, you know, well, you got to think about beating the Lakers. I had a coach once tell me you can't, you can't worry about what you got to do to beat the team in the other conference in the finals to get yourself to the finals. You know, you, that, that's something, unless you are certain we're going to be there, like the Cavs and Warriors, when they went four straight against each other, yeah. those two teams were worried about beating each other. Right. We all knew that at that point, because they knew, pretty confidently we're going to be there at the end. Everybody else has to figure out how to beat your teams in your own conference first. The show, once again, is powered by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. I'm with you. Uh, I mean, we don't need to do it right now because, one, you've hit on it. Two, Evan and I have talked about it a bunch in the past. I mean, I guess we could talk a little bit more just in the sense that now we've finally seen those three guys together in Brooklyn and Kyrie Irving is back from going AWOL for multiple weeks, seven games. But I just – I'm not impressed. I think it's going to be a, insane talent, those three guys for sure. But there's not a lot after them, and I just think that they are going to, you know, be a, a second round, maybe conference final exit. To me, they're not – a team that I am, you know, concerned with winning a championship because yeah, they can score in bunches, but they can't stop anybody. And that's not dismissing the Colin Sexton show, as you noted. I, I, I think other teams are going to, you know, and other players are going to torch them as well that are, you know, better and worse than Sexton. I just, defensively, it's, it's not there. It's not there. I think offensively it'll be fine and they'll do what they do and they'll all have their numbers. And, you know, we'll see week to week, game to game. If, it truly winds up being James Harden that defers as he did kind of in the first game, you know, alongside both of them in terms of at least shot volume, he was, you know, much more efficient. And, you know, looking back on it, he actually, I was thinking, when was the last time James Harden took 13 shots in a game? And he actually did it with more often in Houston than I remembered. Um, Probably though with, 15 to 20 free throw attempts, right? Sure. So that's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I just, I don't know. It's, it, they're in the conversation because they should be in the conversation sure. because talent wins all. And that's why, but are they ultimately going to get over the hump? Meaning, you know, represent the East. I just don't see it. Yeah. And I, that, that's, that's my thing is I, you know, and I'm not as worried about the whole, there's only one ball thing. I mean, there's some to that. I just worry about them playing any defense. Deandre Jordan looks washed. You know, I don't, I, he's not, you know, I, I just don't, don't think it's going to get it done there. I like Jeff green. What a cool story, you know, that he's, you know, he's still in the league and especially after what he went through with the, you know, heart uh, right. issues and all that. I mean, that's awesome, but you know, okay, fine. He's a, backup power forward, you know, on, you know, maybe play a little small ball center at times. Um, yeah. I do, you know, they've pushed Joe Harris now to the bench and that's all right. You know, they don't have a ton of depth either. So, you know, an injury or two at the wrong spot that kills them. Now, if they get to the playoffs and they've added one or two guys, they've got plenty of depth because you only need eight or nine guys in a playoff series. That's all you really need. So they'll be fine there. It's, but you know, we've still got 60 games left to go roughly to get to the playoffs. It's, you know, getting through this grind of the rest of the way. Now, if they're healthy, they can say, all right, KD, take a couple games off. We're good. We can get by with, you know, Kyrie, Kyrie take and a couple Harden. weeks off. Yeah. We're Kyrie, take, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll see you in, you know, April or whatever, you know, however it goes with that situation. So yeah, they're fine. You know, there, I just, yeah, I think when it comes down to it, when they're up against other really good teams, you know, are they going to be able to get stops? And I don't trust that they're going to be able to. Have any parting thoughts on the, uh, on, be it that or anything else before we wrap here? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not, uh, the Nets, I'm, I'm not going to overreact to one game, as I think a lot of people are not going to do. Um, I find it an interesting experiment. Um, you know, they're going to be able to score on anybody. So, you know, they're going to play a lot of games in the, you know, 120s, 130s. And the adage of can you win basketball games that way? Can you win playoff series that way? We're going to be – it's going to be put to the test. So, yeah, I think we all know what they are. I don't think there's – you know, I don't going to say anything groundbreaking in terms of what they are. Um I think it's a worthwhile experiment too. I mean, if you're Brooklyn, you're saying, and you don't know. And like, again, with Kyrie, you don't know with Durant's health, you know, he looks amazing. I mean, he looks incredible. He just, it doesn't look like he missed a day no. really. So, yeah. you know, he, he, but he had a devastating injury and you have to kind of plan ahead for that. And if it's just Kyrie or if it's just Durant, you know, you're not going to win the NBA title, but if you have two of the three guys, you know, maybe you can do some damage. I mean, I still don't think so. But 
having all three of them healthy at the same time, maybe you can. It's a wor- in my opinion, it's a worthwhile experiment. I think they give up way too much for James Harden. But again, if you're trying to to win a title right now, it's not a bad move. The other thing I'll I'll, I'll say as we finish things up here. Uh, and we'll go back to betonline.ag for a minute here. Our sponsor is stealing us 50 to 50% uh, bonus. There you go. Deposit. I got to ask you boys as Patriots fans, are you guys on the Bills train? Because I definitely am. Even though they're in the same division, I'm still rooting for the Bills, uh, with the exception if they play the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I'm still rooting for the Bills because it's been, what, 94 was their last Super Bowl appearance? I think what, what they went what, 91, like 92, that. 93, 94. So – it's been a long time for Buffalo. I'm I'm all in on the Bills bandwagon. I'm, let's, I, I'm not sure if you guys as Pats fans are in a similar spot. Keith? Yeah, I am. I'm pulling for the Bills. And then, you know, I, I still love Tom Brady. I mean, you know, I wish he was doing it here, right. uh, you know, with the Pats. But, you know, it is what it is. So that's the matchup I'm hoping for uh, there. I don't want uh, you know, I, I, kind of the, the Chiefs, you know, I, it's, it's funny because, I, you know, they're already on this whole, you know, Mahomes is the best quarterback ever. And, yeah. you know, we're a dynasty. You won one, you know, settle down. You know, let's uh, let's let's win a few more before we uh, you know, start crowning guys as you know Hall of Famers and the best things ever. And I think he's great, but yeah, but but yeah, I, I'm there. I you know, I would love to see the Bills win. I have a lot of uh, friends who are Bills fans, uh, transplants here in Florida as well, um, like like me that love that team and have been through everything with them. You know, from from the four straight Super Bowl losses to the you know just awful years you know in between then and now so yeah i'm rooting for them for sure the uh matchup that i am pulling for is probably not the ratings bonanza matchup that the league might or networks might otherwise want packers bills with green bay winning that's what i'm looking for that's what i want for a multitude of reasons that i could spend another hour explaining but very very quickly I'm just all in on the Aaron Rodgers story this year. Have been since draft night when they took Jordan Love in the first yeah, Jordan round. Jordan Love for MVP, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm saying. I, I, said, I said at the time, I said, this is, this is the Patriots drafting Jimmy Garoppolo. This is the Packers saying, you know what? You weren't great last year. We can cut you loose after this season with, uh, you know, no detriment to our financial situation. This is the swan song season for Aaron Rodgers. And for him to go out with no added help to the roster and just have the screw you season where he's going to be league MVP and potentially a Super Bowl champ. I'm just all in for it. I'm all in for it. Him forcing Green Bay's hand to potentially keep him next year. Or dare we say he actually still leaves and they move on to Jordan Love. And then where in the world does he wind up? Maybe, you know, obviously we would dream about the Patriots, but maybe like, you know, Garoppolo comes to New England. He goes to San Fran, the boyhood team that passed over him in the draft. Maybe he winds up with the Colts now that Rivers is retired. It's actually a good fit. I think in all likelihood he's back with Green Bay. But I just there are so many facets of the Rogers story that I love. And also, and this doesn't apply to Breeze, uh, obvious, or, or it did apply to Drew Breeze before he was, you know, ousted by Brady. It doesn't apply to Brady. It doesn't yet apply to Mahomes and Allen because they're so young. But Aaron Rodgers has, he's one of the goats. He's not the goat, that's Brady, but he's one of the greatest of all time. And you want to say to the eye test, he might even be better than Brady, just in terms of like athleticism, he's more fun to watch. Statistically, he's not Brady, but he, but he is one of those guys that should retire with multiple rings. He just should, much as Drew Brees should have. And not that these guys have control over that, but it, it feels like, like Peyton Manning had two, he should have had two, you know, Brady obviously should have had two. He had two, you know, what's that? Eli should have had two. He has two, you know, true Eli, but uh, that's that those two put Eli in the hall of fame, but Aaron Rodgers should have multiple rings. And, and this is the year, this is just the perfect year for him to win it. So I'm, I'm all in that. My playoff order coming into the postseason was I was pro Washington football team, even though I hate Washington, but I was all in on the Alex Smith story. And then uh, obviously they were predictably ousted and now it's green Bay. I want to see Aaron Rodgers win that title this year. And just, I I want him to like Mike, you know, let's bring it back to basketball. Like Michael Jordan, you know, 
bringing to his Hall of Fame speech the guy that beat him out for the varsity <laughs> slot in high school and calling him out in the crowd. I want Aaron Rodgers to win a Super Bowl and walk up to the podium to grab the Lombardi trophy, you know, like dragging Jordan Love by the collar uh, as as his other trophy. Like, see, see what I did? You guys brought this in, giving me no help this year? Here's your championship. That's that's what I want. Yeah, just like and just drop the mic and be like I'm out. I'll see you. Yeah, cut me loose. <laughs> I'm playing somewhere else next year. So that is the, you know, believe it or not, somewhat bullet pointed answer to your question. Love it, man. I just I can't do any more Eli Manning talk. My uh, wife and I were in the stands for the eighteen and one season. Oh. We we were living in Southern California, splurged and. Uh, more money than I've ever spent on anything in my life to go to to that game and uh, we, we went and I always like to tell people I was you know about a minute and a half from the one maybe the best uh, day of my life and we we uh, walked back to the car after the game was over jumped right in the car and other than stopping for gas I drove straight home back to California a little over five hours straight and said that's it I want I can't wait to get out of Arizona and I have not been back to that state since and <laughs> oh man all right so for the celtics guys uh back at it in philadelphia tomorrow night make sure you watch see how they do sunday they will uh host the cavaliers this is obviously you know pending any sort of protocol situations that have been postponing games left and right on monday uh so it's a back-to-back in chicago wednesday at uh, san antonio and i assume Staying on the pattern we have been with, we will regroup after that. So a few games, four games to go for the Celtics. We'll see how they do, how Kemba does, how Tatum does in his return. Hopefully that is sooner than later. Health and safety, most important, obviously. And uh, it'll be good to see everybody back on the floor. But this is a fun show. As always, Keith Smith, you can uh, follow him on Twitter. By all means, do so. Great content, including the article we spent a lot of time talking about, about Danny Ainge. Mike Zarin and the Celtics' recent trade history, or at least attempts at making them at times. And uh, obviously, you can find his work on Yahoo, Celtics blog, and a host of other places as well. And for Evan, always a pleasure. Uh, Keith, thanks very much, sir. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. Y'all stay safe, you and yours. All right, guys, subscribe, Celtics Beat, iTunes. Leave us a comment, a rating, a review. We haven't told you that in a while, and we do appreciate it. We might even check to see if you did. We'll talk to you next time.